0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to the Exchange. I'm your host, Rob Cox, the global editor of Reuters Breaking News here in New York. I recently sat down with the mayor of Hartford, Connecticut, Luke Bronin, to talk about the cash strapped city's likely bankruptcy and his time in office. Mayor Bronin, a Democrat, served as an officer in the Navy. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He's a Yale Law graduate. He then went on to serve in two senior posts in President Obama's Treasury Department before getting into the rough and tumble of Connecticut politics. His financial expertise now is being put to use as Hartford faces the greatest financial crisis of its history. In early September, the city said it would likely declare bankruptcy within 60 days. Hartford, which has a deficit approaching $50 million, looks set to do just that unless the state of Connecticut provides some sort of emergency aid. And that hardly seems likely given the state's own fiscal difficulties. Give a listen to my chat with Mayor Luke Bronin. I just thought it would be good to set the stage a little bit by... Going through the math, Um, you guys have talked about the possibility of having to declare bankruptcy for the city. Um, Your ratings agencies seem to almost believe that that's a foregone conclusion. I'm just curious, maybe you could just step back and walk us through the mathematical conundrum that Hartford faces.
1: So the city of Hartford's fiscal crisis has been a long time coming. And the root of the problem is that you've got a very small city where half of the property is non-taxable. You know, you've got right. state property that pays no taxes, uh, hospitals, colleges that pay no taxes, sewage treatment plants, trashed energy plants that pay no taxes, and then a huge concentration of social service agencies that serve the whole region of the state and pay no taxes. Mm-hmm. So you take a small city to start with, you take half the property in that small city off the tax rolls, and you've got a structure that's just not built to work. And then beyond that, you know what we've done in Connecticut over the last few generations is we've concentrated 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 poverty in our cities and you know we've got a state of three and a half million people that's fragmented into 169 towns so you have much of your property wealth outside the center city even though the center cities are still the employment and the cultural centers for Connecticut
0: yeah so that's the big picture what are the numbers I mean if you try to break that down because this will give us an idea of how you get out of it
1: look there are a lot of different ways you can measure just how big the gap is but I think the most powerful way is to think about it this way we've got some of the highest property taxes in the country right now. We have the highest property taxes in the state, and Connecticut is a high property tax state to begin with. If the city of Hartford had a property tax rate that was competitive with its neighboring towns, our annual deficit would be in the neighborhood of $150 million, you know, on a non-education budget of about $320 million. So you're talking about a massive gap. You know, when we talk about our deficits now, we're talking about our deficits at our uncompetitively high property tax rate. Those deficits right now range from uh, about $40 million in this fiscal year to about $80 million in the years ahead. And that's not taking into account the need for capital investment. Uh, And obviously uh, we've we've lacked the capacity to, to borrow for a little while, but because of ratings actions, we are also probably gonna lack market access for a while.
0: Right, so what is the way through this? I mean, you can't raise property taxes any further. You can change the tax base. But you also, I mean, the other question is on the deficit front is you can also reduce things like payments to bondholders. I mean, there are.
1: So, you know, start with some of the things that we've done. You know, we've made some dramatic reductions in personnel and in services. Uh, you know, our, our non public safety workforce is down nearly 20% over the last few years. We're actually operating at a pretty low level of public safety personnel as well. You know, our, uh, a couple of years ago, an uh, independent third party said that the appropriate number of cops for the city of Hartford was 482. We've got under 380 as we sit here today. So we've made dramatic reductions in personnel and services. And Moody's themselves had said that at this point, if you were trying to cut services further you'd be talking about eliminating core services mm-hmm. not reducing services right so those steps have been taken and that means you know the two easiest most common levers for dealing with a fiscal problem just aren't available you can't raise taxes in a city that's got uncompetitively high property tax rates to begin with and you can't cut so deep that you stop delivering the basic services that you know your residents deserve and your your businesses deserve so What's the path forward from that situation? I think there are a few different parts of a solution. And let's talk about a solution outside of bankruptcy first. One big part of that solution is the state of Connecticut. Uh, I talked about the amount of non-taxable property we have. That's partly because the city of Hartford provides a lot for the state of Connecticut. Again, it's home to all those non-taxable uses, all those things
0: the state capital, the, the, for the, instance.
1: It, It's the state capital. Right. You've got a huge amount of state property. Mm-hmm. And then all those other services, again, whether it's the hospitals or the sewage treatment plant, they're serving much bigger area than just the city of Hartford, whether it's the entire state or the region around the state. So the first part of the argument I've been making is the state needs to recognize that you can't run a city on a tax base of a suburb. And we literally have the tax base of a suburb. We actually have a tax base that's a lot smaller than the next-door town of West Hartford, and a tax base that's barely larger than Small suburbs around that have, you know, one fifth the population. So, sure. if the state is prepared to be part of that solution, one thing it could do is appropriately fund the city that is small to begin with and has half of its property non-taxable. You could do that by reimbursing the city for its so grant you know, right. or payment in lieu of taxes, rather than uh.
0: redistricting or redrawing the, the map, which is of course one uh, more <laughs> a radical notion. But the but of course the problem that you run into there is that the state's fiscal problems are perhaps not. That much better than
1: the city zone. That's right. I mean, look, you've got, a, you've got a confluence of crises here. You've got the city of Hartford facing a fiscal crisis that's been building for many mm-hmm. years, and you've got the state of Connecticut uh, facing a fiscal crisis that is severe and is also the result of, you know, not funding pensions for decade after decade. Yeah. Uh, so those, those two problems are real. But what I would say is this. If we're going to solve the state's fiscal challenge, we're going to do it by putting Connecticut in a position to grow. And I think our biggest competitive problem right now is that we haven't positioned our cities to be the strong, vibrant places they could be. You know, they, they've got all of our big cities in Connecticut have tremendous natural assets, tremendous raw material. I mean, in the city of Hartford, you've got world-class theaters, producing stages. You've got world-class art museum. You've got a beautiful park system. You have uh, a city that sits at the center of a region of about a million people that, you know, the Brookings Institution placed with only 20 other cities worldwide as being knowledge capitals because of the concentration of advanced degrees and patents and research institutions. So you've got a ton of raw material to work with. But what we haven't done as a state Is put our cities in a position that they can actually take full advantage of those those raw materials. I mean, when
0: people ding Connecticut for losing General Electric, for instance, or I suppose that, which we can get into as well. But I mean, I know these corporations and I know the way they think and their decision making, and it isn't so much, oh, well, the taxes are this, it's actually, to your point, Young, knowledge-based workers don't want to live necessarily in suburbs. They, they want to be in vibrant cities. If you don't invest in those cities, they're going to be going to New York and they're going to go to Boston. Right. Look,
1: if a company is looking for a low-tax jurisdiction, they're not going to New York City and they're not going to Boston. Right. You know, what both of those companies was looking, were looking for was to be at the center of a vibrant uh, you know, magnet for talent. And you don't have to be a New York or a Boston to compete. There are plenty of competitive small cities, and Hartford could be a competitive small city, a very competitive small city. But you've got to have a fiscal foundation that you can build on, which is why you know, I feel such a huge urgency to fix the fiscal problem, not just you know, kick the can for another mm-hmm. year. Because if we can get the foundation strong, I really think we can build on it and build something that is really competitive and strong.
0: So let's say so the first scenario, you, the, the state somehow manages to get through its own budget uh, morass and, and restore or give funding to meet the, the gap that you have, that, that Hartford has. Or, or let's say they don't actually. So what happens then? Nobody wants to redistribute income in the state. People haven't yet figured out in towns that this argument that the cities are, are vital to the future of the state. What's the bankruptcy option? How does that look?
1: Well, look, first let me say, I, I actually right. think more and more people
0: are starting to realize that if Connecticut's going to be competitive, you need,
1: you need cities. competitive cities yeah. and you need vibrant cities. I mean, it's such a small state. Uh, we're, we're so obviously you know, intertwined. Uh, but what we do have a lot of Yankee history to overcome and a lot of Yankee provincialism to overcome, and like I said, we got you know this state of three and a half million people carved into one hundred and sixty nine towns. there still is that mindset that mm. you know the world ends at my town boundaries. but I think people are starting to realize you know that that our city's strength matters to the state's competitiveness, but let's say <laughs> you're right and that the state uh, just isn't prepared or isn't able to make the long-term commitment that's needed to put uh, the city of Hartford in a place that we can actually be sustainable and uh, and strong. You know, I, I have not shied away from talking about bankruptcy because I really think we've got to fix this problem, not just fake it. And uh, I do think there's a non-bankruptcy path available. Again, I mean, I talked about the state part of it. Even if the state were to step up and help compensate the city for the huge amount of non-taxable property, you still need labor unions to participate in a meaningful way, and you still need bondholders to participate uh, in a meaningful way. Oh, so in that scenario, you still have some restructuring. You still need to do some restructuring. You know, one of the things that my predecessor did, faced with this same basic problem, was delay some debt payments and push the debt payments out. So we've got a mountain of debt that we're walking into, and it peaks in 2021, and then it plateaus for a while. Hmm. So there has to be a restructuring of debt to some extent, no matter what. What exactly that looks like, you know, what the terms of that restructuring are, depends a lot on what the state's doing, you know, the more the state steps up, the more modest right. the debt restructuring can be. But the state, labor, bondholders, all have to be part of a solution no matter what. If the state isn't willing to be a real part of that solution, then I think it really does uh, make bankruptcy a, uh, a very real possibility. And something that if we want to be able to look residents of the city and taxpayers in the city and businesses that we're either trying to retain or attract the city in the eye and say, we actually are on a path that's sustainable and that leads to you know a vibrant city then uh, we may have to do that
0: it's uh, it's not often of course that uh, bondholders unions and other parties get together um, in and restructure things willingly because they generally don't have an, an incentive the same way you do to pull it all together unfortunately that's just how it works so that's why bankruptcy does tend to galvanize um, people's minds in that scenario what 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 would what would be the, the goal? Would it be to largely reduce the, uh, the debt burden? Or is it, because are, are, are debt payments the big problem? I mean, you mentioned that your predecessor had to push them back a bit. Or is it just the long-term promises well, that were made that look, are impossible again, to... Again, I
1: mean, first of all, and it's, it's really important to, to say this every chance I get, the root of the problem, the real root of the problem is that you've got a city that's too small to begin with, and then you have the, we have over generations concentrated poverty, and then taken half the property off the tax rolls. So the problem is more deeply rooted than you know the debt structure or pension obligations uh, or any of that. It really is in the the fundamental way we've built this state and organized this right. state. So that doesn't but change if you just reduce that, the that debt. That doesn't change, the... and that's why it's a, you know that's why it's a, it's important to to start with that. But if we were in bankruptcy, uh, we would obviously. Uh, have to try to make some aggressive changes to our debt obligations. Uh, we would probably have to make some uh, changes in our pension obligations as well. Uh, we would have to continue our negotiations with our labor unions. Uh, and we'd have to look at OPEB too, you know, post-employee benefits, and retiree health care. All those things would, would have to be on the table. And I would hope that if we went through that fire and we dealt with you know, some of those legacy costs, uh, that at the other end, the state would, at that point, recognize that it still makes sense to make a greater investment in the capital city, you right. know, it, because, again, the root of the problem is the city's, the city's it's size a structural the city is not that.
0: Yeah. Um, of course, if you're the state, maybe that makes the most sense, that option, which is to let you guys work out the best you can with these constituencies in whatever, whether it's bankruptcy or not. and then. Figure out.
1: You know, I think one of the things that I I try to talk about here is that we shouldn't just be looking at getting our nose above water. You know, success shouldn't be just you know preserving the status quo of having the highest property taxes in the state, which means among (laughs) the highest property taxes in the nation. Uh, Real success means, you know, over the medium to long term, actually being able to lower that property tax rate because that's how you're gonna. Actually, be able to well. Let's talk about that. In,
0: in, let's assume you can get through this this difficulty um, and get to the other side, and you're still going to be stuck with it with with a problem. But an, you have you know what you need to do. How do you actually do that? How do you, I don't know, increase your tax base effectively and without increasing the, the mill rate? Well, again, I mean, first
1: of all, I, I think we actually have to bring down our property tax rate to be able to, uh, to be competitive. Right. But the, the irony about the fiscal challenges that we're facing right now and the fiscal crisis we're facing right now is that we're actually seeing the beginnings of revitalization that you know, has eluded this city for a long, long time. You know, I don't know if you've spent time in Hartford before, but if you spent time in Hartford five years ago, 10 years ago, the city was closed after 5 p.m. and on weekends. Mm. Uh, it's not true anymore. You know, you've got a, a city that uh, has a new energy it you can you can see you got more feet on the street you have thousands of residential units that have filled up uh, over the past couple of years in converted uh, old, you know formerly blighted commercial buildings that are no, now that. That's you know vibrant nice. new residential yeah. buildings you, you got, got a, the baseball you got the baseball park which uh, is breaking attendance records uh, in the league you've got
0: uh, you got the Whalers coming back
1: <laughs> from your lips to God's ears I hope so it's my team as right. a kid. <laughs> um, you know, you've got University of Connecticut, which just opened a satellite campus right next door. Now that's non-taxable property, but it's also bringing thousands of
0: students down. Yeah, that downtown. property, if I'm not mistaken, was and the old an old newspaper an, building that was abandoned for years.
1: That's right, uh, and it was city owned, so it was already off the tax rolls. But uh, but bringing those thousands of feet on the street and young, you know, students uh, makes a big difference, and you can already see it because there's now a Barnes and Noble and a Starbucks open across the street. You know, and that stuff can gather its own momentum and move more quickly than anyone thinks if we can build a strong foundation
0: so, so you had the opportunity the pleasure to serve the president uh, President Obama in the first term uh, during the real crisis in, in the United States both with the automakers and the banks insurance companies what have you what did you learn there that's useful and applicable here so I you know I worked at the
1: Treasury Department uh, in the the first Obama terms. I started at the Treasury Department a couple of weeks before the stress tests um, and uh, worked on some of the financial regulatory reform efforts uh, and, and other crisis response efforts through that first year or year and a half, uh, and then moved to a different role at Treasury. But I would say that the thing that I took away from that was a, an enormous admiration both for the leadership of the Treasury Department, including Secretary Geithner, as well as President Obama, for essentially saying, politics be damned, you know, we've got to figure out how to responsibly address this crisis. And there were plenty of unpopular decisions that were made during that period that in retrospect, I think were without a doubt the reason that uh, we were able to recover and, and avoid the worst possibilities of that you know, coming, coming from that, fiscal, that financial crisis.
0: I was in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's funny to see how quickly people forget that, they, that the, some of these automakers really were, um, were dependent on public taxpayers. It's
1: a great support. example, because you remember how much outrage there was about the bailouts of the auto industry, and yet you know, what that did to help keep many thousands of jobs. Uh, and help you know build a, a new foundation for, for the economy out there was really significant. But that's just one of many. You know, there that, were a lot that's part of part of my
0: point is that bankruptcy isn't always. Uh, it's a, it's an opportunity to reset and to renew and to, to take a different tact. Which is, it, of course, it's bad for the brand.
1: I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, one of the things I said recently to the legislative leaders up at the state and to the governor was, look, there there are those who say that bankruptcy is inevitable for Hartford. They're wrong. There are those who say that bankruptcy should be avoided at all costs, and they're also wrong. Bankruptcy is a tool to use. It's not the first tool you want to use. But ultimately, I think we have to address the structural problem and deal with it in a long-term way. And so, you know, again, getting back to your question, I think we've got to be willing to do things that are not popular, uh, and we're going to have to be willing to go through uh, challenging times, no matter what, to to really put the city on a long-term sustainable path.
0: Okay, let's talk about Amazon. You, you know, they, they put out this RFP. I know that the governor of Connecticut is working um, to to give a pitch uh, for, I think, both for Hartford and for Stamford. Um, I'd like to hear just your pitch. You know, how you would how you would frame it if Jeff Bezos was in the room. Well, look, I I got to think that someone like Jeff Bezos
1: uh, would understand that bankruptcy or talk of bankruptcy, to some extent, re- reflects a uh, a willingness to do what's necessary to make a place strong, but. You know, beyond that, what you see in Hartford, I talked about it a little bit before, but you've got a city where, first of all, the costs of doing business are astronomically lower than either New York City or Boston uh, or true. a lot of other big metro areas, and yet we're accessible to both You're, mm-hmm. you know, within a couple of hours of both of those. You know, the city of Hartford is on the intersection of two major highways, north, south, east, east west, huge access to a very talented and deep uh, labor market. The proposal that we're putting together, uh, which we're doing in conjunction with our neighbor East Hartford across the river, is really built around the Connecticut River, uh, which is a beautiful blue way. You know, it is, a, it is a, a magnificent natural resource.
0: Underappreciated.
1: Way underappreciated, way underutilized, in part because you know, decades ago the highway was built along the, the side of it. But there's still yeah. uh, a tremendous opportunity to take advantage of that physical asset. Uh, and then again, you've got a city that was... At the forefront of the industrial revolution, that was at the forefront of uh, of insurance and financial services, and that still has that legacy visible, uh, in, whether it's in the incredible park system or a lot of historic architecture around. So, whether it's the people, the physical beauty of the place, you know, the variety and diversity of communities around the Greater Hartford area, um, you know, or whether it's the location, uh, mm. which is so central and very close to. Uh, an airport that's got both domestic and international service. Uh, right. I think there are a lot of things that could make uh, the Greater Hartford area very
0: competitive. And uh, and why why Hartford over Stanford? Well, look. First uh, of not- all, I mean, first <laughs> of all, anywhere if, if Amazon goes anywhere in Connecticut,
1: it's great for right. everyone in Connecticut. Yeah, so you know, I would advocate for for uh, for Stamford or any place in Connecticut. I think there are a lot of reasons that Connecticut is right now underappreciated and And would ha- offer a lot, not just to Amazon, but to a lot of other companies like Amazon. Uh, but, but again, I think what what Hartford offers is just this geographic centrality, a really deep labor pool, and, and just a, a great feel. you know this is a, what attracted me to Hartford in the first place. I grew up in in Rye, New York okay. uh, and then Greenwich, and then was in New Haven for a number of years uh, and then and then came to Hartford in 2006. And one of the things that attracted my wife and I to Hartford is that, you know, it's this great combination of big enough that it's got something interesting happening all the time. And it's great got great cultural resources. It's got great arts and cultural institutions, great sports. But it's also small enough that it's intimate and you can become a part of the fabric of the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's through that perfect combination of city and town.
0: Let's start, turn to the, what, what uh, Aetna recently decided said it was going to move its corporate headquarters to New York. I mean, you have got you still have a few companies headquartered in, in Hartford. How do you kind of keep people on side and, and some of these companies from doing something like that? I, I think
1: Aetna's decision had been made a long time ago. You know, I, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with Mark Bertolini and with mm-hmm. leadership at Aetna. I think that was a decision that was made. Uh, a long time ago, and I think there are a couple of important things to, to say. First of all, you know, they have said that they're maintaining their, their presence here in a very significant way. You know, what they're moving is sort of the, the top corporate uh, suite right. uh, d- down to New York. That leaves thousands of jobs here. But they've also said that whether or not those thousands of jobs stay here uh, in Hartford and in Connecticut depends a lot on whether Connecticut is able to deal with some of its fiscal challenges, you know, in a in a responsible way, and whether we can get the city on a vibrant path. And that again comes back to my desire to actually get at the root of this and fix it, rather than just kind of, uh, you know, buy another year or two. But but just to c- come back to your question, you know, how to keep others on sides. We've actually built and rebuilt really strong relationships with a, a lot of our big companies, and we do have a a, a tremendous concentration. Of big companies for a city of our size, you know, whether it's Travelers, uh, the Hartford Financial Services Group, Cigna, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, and, and if you look at the region, just you know, within the, the sort of towns right around us, Stanley Black and Decker, United Technologies, Pratt and Whitney, they have all been become more involved in the city than they have been in a long time just a couple weeks ago we announced uh, and launching an insurtech accelerator with you know a lot of those big insurance companies uh, also the phoenix insurance and uh, hartford steam boiler all those insurers coming together uh, to launch a uh, an insurtech accelerator to do some of that work that they've been doing for a while out in silicon valley and elsewhere you know here in hartford uh, and they've also uh, three of the big companies have stepped up and said we're willing to be part of the solution from a financial standpoint. You know, Aetna, Travelers, the Hartford said we'll contribute $10 million a year for the next five years as part of a sustainable solution. So they are engaged and involved in a way that they haven't been for a long time. And I think it's because of two reasons. One, they recognize how important it is to them, to have a strong and vibrant city because it matters as they're trying to attract talent. And two, I I think they see in this administration you know, a willingness to do the things that need to be done and to lay out a vision for where we can take the city.
0: Can I ask you about automated vehicles? As I mentioned, I was recently in Detroit, and it's it's extraordinary you know, to think that really cities are going to be the, at the forefront of the switchover, as it were. What are you what are you doing on that front? Could is there any way for Hartford to be kind of like the I don't know. Automated vehicle platform for New England or for the region
1: look I, I think automated vehicles are probably coming fast, uh, no matter what, uh, and so I, part of the question for us is how do you take advantage of that opportunity? you know I mentioned before that one of the big mistakes a while back was in the way we built our highways you know like a lot of places, highways were not built in the right places. one of them was is built along our river, cutting us off from yep. the socks from the river, uh, and the other cut us north and south um, and you know just bisect the city. There, there's a planning effort underway right now to redesign one of those highways because uh, it's just reaching the end of its useful life. And I think what's really important is that in that design effort, we need to make sure that we're taking account of the changes that are probably coming uh, in automated vehicles. It can have huge implications for for the design that you make and yeah. for what, how much capacity you need. You know, and does it create opportunities to recapture some land, reroute some uh, some highways and roads? Mm. Um, and uh, we're, we're very open to that.
0: What about transportation? Just generally, you mentioned, I mean, look, the one thing that Hartford has and Connecticut has, it's wedged between New York and Boston, two yeah. fantastic, you know, cities. What? yet it still is not exactly like easy to get from one to the, from here. You know, where's your Hyperloop? Where's your uh, Shinkansen? <laughs> Look, you I mean, know, there's so you... many
1: there are so many reasons I wish I had a time machine. <laughs> one of them would be uh, to go back 20 years right. and really focus on infrastructure investment, particularly on, on rail or light rail. And, and, and uh, we didn't do that, but this time next year, you're going to have north-south commuter rail that hasn't existed for many decades. So you're going to have uh, commuter rail that connects us north to Springfield and south to New Haven. It's going to be synchronized with the schedules down to New York. So for the first time, you could actually get on a train uh, from Hartford, land in New Haven. You still got to change the train, but you don't have to sit and wait uh, for 30 Nine. minutes. You can just, just cross, the, cross platform. the platform and head on to, down to New York. That That's going to make a big difference. Uh, and then north to Springfield, I hope that, that Massachusetts realizes the power in, in completing their rail network to link uh, you know, Springfield to Worcester. Because if you did that, first of all, it brings Springfield uh, right. uh, to, online, to, a, to a better place online. Yeah. But it also would make Hartford directly connected by rail to Boston. And then there's all kinds of uh, discussions at the federal level from the FRA about high-speed rail through New England. There's consideration of a bunch of routes. Uh, high-speed rail through Hartford would be transformative, for the city and for the state.
0: Yeah, good luck with that. How is your relationship? Or I mean, how do you, how are you viewing some of the the um, decisions that are being made by the White House? Let's you know, we'll take tackle one or two of them. But tax reform is an interesting part. So if you look at the um, so at very broad brush which is all we really have at the moment about the tax proposal, it would get rid of the deductibility of, for instance, state and local taxes. Now given the conversation we just had, that could be quite difficult for Connecticut in general, but also for Hartford. Do you think that's a runner?
1: You know, I would say two things. First of all, I will confess not, that I have not studied in as much detail as I should the tax plans coming out of there, in part because, first of all, it's not a lot of study, and second of all, uh, not clear to me uh, you know, that there's going to be any more progress on that than there has been on a lot of their other legislative initiatives, and we've got a little bit to focus on here. That said, uh, for, for jurisdictions that rely on the income tax, uh, like Connecticut, That proposal would be uh, would be very burdensome. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, I I am concerned about that. Uh, I'm also just concerned, uh, you know, at the at the federal level about uh, yet another tax reform plan that doesn't have an eye to long term fiscal sustainability. I mean, Mm. it's 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 not clear to me that uh, that's going to put us in a more sound fiscal position.
0: Well, yeah, I mean the the argument is, of course, that the economy will grow so much because of it that it, this dynamic scoring will allow us to rip out all the um, potential deficit implications.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> we've seen how that's worked in the past, uh, and uh, you know, you see the uh, the impact of the tax cuts under the, the uh, second Bush administration, and you know, the uh, the really dramatic uh, impact on our on our deficits that that had. Yeah,
0: how about immigration? I mean, you—you. Uh, you, this is a pretty diverse population here in Hartford, um, and how—how how have you guys been complying or resisting, as it were, some of the um, directives from the Trump administration? You know,
1: the the entire state of Connecticut, uh, uh, and the city of Hartford. You know, have have. Proudly stood up and said, "We're, we're welcoming jurisdictions." Uh, you know, it's it's never been clear what a sanctuary city is or what the Trump administration really considers a sanctuary city to be. Um, but but I will say that you know I'm proud that the city of Hartford is uh, is not and will not you know use its police force to serve as the frontline uh, immigration enforcement authorities. You know, this is this is an incredibly diverse city. You know, we uh, we are a place that has historically and very proudly been. Uh, welcoming to immigrants, uh, to refugees, and those immigrant and refugee groups have have formed in successive waves and in successive generations a new foundation you know, for the city to be built on. And we're proud of that, and we're going to, um, you know, we, we will resist anything that I think is really just uh, anti immigration uh, uh, or anti immigrant uh, dressed up to be about some other policy right, priority. Right, right,
0: right. Well- also, As the mayor of a city and a city that has a real a poverty problem, you also have a gun violence problem. I mean, how do you, 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 you view that the issue, which of course is now on the front burner because of what happened in Las Vegas, um, in Connecticut has of, of course seen its own uh, issue uh, after Newtown. What is your sense, I mean, how do you handle, how do you see it as the mayor of a city where there is still gun violence?
1: Well, you, you said it at first, and it's important to link the two. We we are a city where there is intense poverty. You know, our median household income in the city of Hartford is right around $30,000. Uh, know, One out of every two kids growing up in the city of Hartford is growing up under the federal poverty line. You know, we've got neighborhoods. Uh, we've got a, a neighborhood that's been designated as a promise zone uh, where those numbers are even more uh, – uh, Distressing, you know, where the median household income is twelve thousand dollars, and where two thirds of our children are growing up under the federal poverty line, uh, and you also have the legacy of over-incarceration. You have a lot of young uh, people, especially young men, who grew up without fathers. Uh, you have um, uh, an educational system that I think failed our kids for a long, long time, and you put all those together, and uh, for a lot of young people uh, growing up in the city, they have been exposed to a tremendous amount of trauma. Uh, they have not been exposed to a tremendous amount of opportunity. So dealing with that public safety problem and that poverty problem are, are linked. You know, obviously, education is a huge part of that. This is something that's not just about Hartford. This is nat- true nationally. We've got to get a lot smarter on how we recognize and deal with trauma uh, among young people. And that's something that we're trying to do right now in partnership with the school district and with our uh, with our city health department. That's an area we're really focusing on. There is, of course, the law enforcement part. You know, and and I talked before about the fact that our police numbers are low. Where you should, you know, we're we're trying to recruit. And so, even facing this fiscal challenge, we I think have an obligation to try to get our police force up to the appropriate level because you need that presence out there you know it's not about trying to arrest your way out of a problem but you do need a presence out there to create that sense of stability and you know and, and visibility of uh, law enforcement so that's something that we're working on too uh, the other thing that we've been focusing a lot on is making sure that all of the organizations uh, and institutions that work with young people in our city are working together you know for a long time we've had actually a, a, a great uh, community of nonprofits and others whether <coughs> it 's the YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club or others that are doing good work, but a lot of times they 're not coordinated and so some kids may be getting served by three or four organizations and some are right. getting served by none and so we 've tr- been bringing all of those folks around one table and trying to uh, put in place you know a, uh, a, a system for sharing that information working together so that everybody 's joined at the hip uh, in serving young people interestingly and you know hesitate to to talk about this as a success because it 's a daily battle and a daily effort. We have not lately seen the kind of youth violence that a lot of communities have. What we have seen is a lot of violence among uh, older, often formerly incarcerated men. you know one of our last shootings uh, involved uh, a group of men who were all in their late thirties, all had prior criminal records, uh, all involved in drug dealing now they may have Maybe there were other opportunities available to them, and they decided to stay, uh, stay, you know, in the dealing game. But for a lot of folks who are coming out of prison, there is just no route to another kind of job, and that's also something that, as a country, and as a state, and as a city, we got a lot of work to do on.
0: Yeah, well, you have a lot of work to do, Mayor. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. Go- I mean, you've got your short-term fiscal uh, issues to, to deal with. You've got the longer term uh, structural issues uh, to to deal with here. Um, And so if you can get through it, what's the next step for you in terms of your career?
1: Well, I'm I'm focused on.
0: I mean, you're a young guy, right? You're like 38. 38. Although, you know, with this job, give me another year
1: and I might look (laughs) a lot older. Uh, But I really believe in the potential of this city. And not just potential, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going on. And for all the focus on fiscal crisis, uh, there's, there is momentum that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And so I see my responsibilities as the city as, as, as twofold. One, to deal with the problem, deal with it honestly and, and transparently and not try to hide it, and to try to create the space for that momentum to really gather speed. Uh, because whether it's in our downtown or in our neighborhoods, there's a lot of Energy and development that we haven't seen in a long, long time. You know, for me, I'm I'm focused on Hartford right now, and uh, you know, I think it's uh, we we got a lot of work
0: left to do. Well, I raise the issue certainly because there is uh, we have an election coming up for the governor. It seems to me that's not something you're going to be focused on.
1: You know, it, we're, we are a year out from that, and I am, I'm focused on
0: Hartford. You definitely have a year's worth of work ahead of you. But, I mean, afterwards, someone's going to have to, you know, the, the problems for Connecticut is essentially, in many respects, Hartford's problems writ large.
1: I think that's right. And so, you know, I hope that whoever is Connecticut's next governor is somebody who, number one, understands that if we're going to make the state competitive, you've got to have strong cities. Uh, and number two, is willing to be a partner in, uh, in trying to get us there.
0: Good luck with everything. Thanks a lot. We'll be watching closely as Mayor Bronin tackles Hartford's financial crunch. His future in politics will reside really on how he handles this matter and perhaps more importantly, the extent to which he can revive Hartford's fortunes. Imagine if he does succeed, say, in convincing Amazon to locate its second headquarters there. Anyway, that's all for this week's episode of The Exchange. This podcast was produced by Kate Duguid, Freddie Joyner, and Ryan Warner. If you haven't already, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings. for The Exchange, The Views Rooms, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and at Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob1Cox. Thanks for tuning in and adios.